Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I am chatting with the author, TJ London. Welcome back to the Audiobook Loving Series, TJ. Thank you, Viv. Or <laughs> should I say, shall I say, Enchantress. <laughs> Either it's one works for me. <laughs> if I, like, we talked about this last time, you know, Enchantress, and I'm, like, supposed to see, like, glitter flying into the air when I say that or something, yeah. something like that, you know? <laughs> We talked about that last time, I think on the last podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been such a pleasure, you know, from, from the first time that we did the official chat last year to just, you know, the friendship kind of growing and things, you know, with your, with your world growing as far as your books are concerned. And, and now you're back, but not only you here as just a one-on-one with me, but we just finished doing a round table with your villains. I uh, know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> The, the stories, right? I know, right? <laughs> Tell us who your narrators are as far as the villain side of things. Okay, so villains. Uh, it's interesting because they do multiple voices, but this, it, when they're predominantly villains, this is who we have. So we have Mar- the beautiful and fantastic audio sorceress, uh, Marnie Young. She is doing Celeste. So all my previous listeners know the very diabolical Celeste, but for the new ones, that is the character she is doing and predominantly, and she is a villainess. Um, Patrick Zeller um, is coming back as Roger Delancey, although he's Captain Roger Delancey, which also fans of my stories, they, they know that character very well. He made him pretty famous. Um, as well as he's doing James McKesson, who is one of the main villains of the series as well. So he's got two villain voices, um, which is amazing because he's really good at it. We have John Hartley coming in. He's new to my series, but you know, made a big impression already. He is doing René Levesque, um, who is our French pirate or French privateer, depending on how you want to put it. Um, He's also playing Leo Levesque, who is also another villain. But he also does Stephen McKesson, for those who are a fan of the original books, um, The Tory and the Traitor, that's Delissa's father, so the main character's father who's passed away. So we get to see him alive in the story. We have Drew MacArthur, who is, he's got a hodgepodge of characters, but he's doing King George II, which is sort of a villain in this story. Um, He is doing Lord Loveland, who is definitely a villain in this story. And he's also doing one of our foils, a little boy named Kent. So Kent is about five years old and he's he's a super fun character. Um, And then we have James Cheatham. And James is like the jack of all trades of the story. He does lots of different ship voices and sailor voices. And I'm not going to say that all of these men are nice guys. So I won't call them necessary primary villains of the stories, but they're not necessarily nice guys. So he's got a variety of naughty sailor voices that he's doing. So those are my villains. And those are who we talked to earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking to our heroes of Man of War next week. And they are, tell us, Okay. Yes. Yeah, so our heroes, I'm super excited about our heroes because I have my hero and my heroine together, which is amazing. Uh, Nicholas Bolton is going to be Merrick McKesson, um, or as the readers of the or listeners of the previous two audios, 
um, is uh, Dane McKesson. So he is the youngest brother of the three McKesson brothers. And he, that's the character he does. He just does that because that's a heavy lift. It's a big character, right? Um, we have Catherine Vinclair, who is new. Um, she is new to my production and, and certainly made a, an impression as well. She is taking on Caroline, who is the heroine, but who is also called India. Um, so she has two different names and we're gonna learn why um, as we go through the journey with Caroline or India. And then we have Jason Clark. I'm so excited to have him join our cast. I'm really, really excited to have him join our cast. So he plays two very important characters. He is the predecessor to, we think of John Carlyle, the main character of the main series. This is his uncle, Clayton Carlyle. So um, he gets to take up the Carlyle mantle because if we have McKessons, we must have Carlyles. And then he's also doing a character named Lieutenant Gates. Lieutenant Gates would be the captain of the, of the Marines, so the, the soldiers that are on a man of war, per se, uh, but is also a really important character because he is based, the personality of the character is based on my husband. So who wouldn't want Jason Clark to like narrate their husband, right? I get to do that when you're the author. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> You get to go, yes, I'm going to have Jason narrate my husband. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get to laugh about that. But so, yes, those are my heroes that will be on the call on, on next week's call. Yeah. Yeah. Both TJ and I were extremely excited and a little nervous to kind of do this because it's the first time you have your entire cast with you prior to the release mm -hmm. of the book. It's really the first time that you've spoken to some of them as, as specifically like via phone and stuff like that, specifically like John Hartley for this one, for this first. Yes. Class. Yes. It was my first time, but it won't be my last <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my first time talking to him. Absolutely. I had had a couple conversations with Drew in, in message, but never like a lot of dialogue and James and I had dialogue. So it was just John and, and Drew that I really never talked to like getting together with Patrick and Marty is like hanging out with an old friend, like, Oh my gosh so much fun talking to them but Nicholas I've never actually like I've dialogued with him in, in text and like in emails but never actually met him Catherine and I have met we've had multiple conversations and Jason and I have like like maybe one or two messages it's been very so I'm really excited this is like for me it's, it's it's so exciting I don't know I don't know what to say it's so exciting to meet them I know like fans get really excited but you know as an author we get excited too right because we're you know kind of bringing them into the intimacy of our world and so you get to kind of like I don't know you get to learn from them and learn from what they learn from working with you I don't know there's just it's like a it's like a flow of of like a of energy that you get to share between the words and the story and their performance. So meeting with them just really helps you like, I don't know, it helps you really, it's a complete experience. It just completes the experience, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. So why don't we um, have you tell us a little bit about Man of War. I know this is set 20 years prior to the, yep. the first book. The Tory right? and the Traitor. The Tory, yeah, the Traitor, yeah. Yeah. So to tell you about Man of War, it does take place 20 years before. So it's in 1755. The other stories take place in 1776, like, you know, pivotal year. We all know that year as, as Americans, right? Or people from the US, even British people, I guess. But Man of War, it takes place during, uh, well, I always ask people and, and, and Danielle laughs at me. This is my producer. I'm like, what happened in 1755? And most people look at me like, should I know? Um, <laughs> well, of course you should know. Um, it's the start of the French and Indian War, or we also know it as a Seven Years' War. So the story is really about 
Well, the crux of it is really about sibling rivalry. So for most people, they know that I write from counseling and I was really exploring that part of my life. But Man of War is about the three McKesson brothers. Um, there's James, we know that's Dallas's uncle from the series. There's Stephen, her father, who is a doctor. And then we know the youngest one is Dane McKesson. So this is really Dane's story. And it is about basically this man and he is the lieutenant on a ship and his brother is the doctor. And he they are set upon by by basically pirates um, off the coast of Nova Scotia. And that's where the story really starts. And Merrick is thrust, Merrick is the name he really goes by besides Dane. He is thrust into the story from the get-go. The captain, this is no big secret, it's no spoiler. The captain dies at the in the first few pages of the story and he is now the acting captain. And it's a mystery because he's trying to figure out why they were attacked and what's going on. And again, it's the beginning of the French war. And they board one of the enemy ships. And when they board the enemy ship, they find this woman chained in the hold. They find three, two women. There's three women. There's a woman named Sister Alice. There's a woman named um, Helen Castle. And there's this woman who's chained in the hold. And they bring them over to the Boudicca. That's the ship. And the story starts there. And it takes us through this mystery of who is this woman and why has she been, you know, uh, chained in the hold and certainly what was, you know, what did these French pirates want? What were they doing? And why did, why were they attacking ships um, off the coast of Nova Scotia? And it takes us from a man of war, a fourth rate ship of the line into New York City in 1755. And we're going to visit the Hellfire Club. In, in my story, in my fiction, it comes to the US. And there's also some of the under the, the undercurrents of the Battle of Culloden and what happened with the Scottish Rebellion kind of bleeding into this story. But within all this adventure is a love story too about a woman, you know, one coming into her own after what's happened to her and this captain, this very gallant Captain Merrick, who's trying to help her um, and is trying to solve the mystery of, of, of what's happened to him. So, but it's also a battle of sibling rivalry too. You know, a man trying to overcome what's happened in his past to overcome sibling rivalry and finds himself really dragged back into family squabbles, which commonly we all know the minute we get away from our family, we're free of it. But the minute we go back into the family environment, we get sucked back into it. So, um, but what it does is it sets the stage for the Tory, the traitor and the turncoat. How did the Carlisles and the McKessons meet? You know, what happened that all these circumstances in the Tory and the traitor and the turncoat, you know, happened? Well, this is the roots. This is where it starts. Um, this is where Alexi comes into the story. This is the backstory of John Carlyle. So I'm really filling in the gaps for the readers and taking them on a, on a journey that's very separate. So you can listen to Man of War and never have listened to the other stories. You can listen to it by itself and you could never read the other ones. Or you could listen to the other ones first and then listen to Man of War and still have a unique experience. It is a standalone, truly. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love how you're giving us different, you know, peeks into these characters from, you know, from 20 years back. And also how some of these characters that were in the original three books, how they came to be. Because I know that one thing that you always say is that, yeah, they're, they're for example, for it, when it comes down to the the villains. Yes, they're villains, but there is a reason why they're the villains. It's not just because they were like, ah, today I'm going to be the villain, you know? Yeah. I mean, some of them do, right? You know, but it's interesting. I think that every villain is a hero in their own mind to some degree. And sometimes a villain, depending on what side of the story you're on, what side of a warrior on, 
um, can be a hero. And I'm exploring that both in this story and then in The Rebel, my up and coming book. Just because you're a hero to potentially the American side of the story doesn't mean, you know, you're a hero on the British side of the story. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, yeah. So I, I'm playing with that you know, the, the, the grays of war, basically. So now, and then there are some people that are just outright dastardly, no matter what side they would be on, right? But not every character is. So I'm, I'm playing with that a little bit here and we're getting to see how they're formed, right? Like how they got started. Like where did the villainy begin, right? Who taught them their villainy? So so yeah, we're playing with that a bit. And and, and uh, that's definitely like John Hartley's character, Rene Levesque and um, Patrick's character, which is uh, Roger Delancey. Those two are really like, they're kind of like father and son to each other in terms of their villainy in the story. But we ultimately see how like those two make an impression on each other and then it, you know, feeds into the other stories. So again, I love the the weaving that you do. It's magical with these characters and how they're, they've been in one book and then they, you kind of like, were they there? You think they were there and you're like, oh yeah, they were because that's when you're listening to the other book or you're reading it and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. But I wanted to talk about with these characters being so close to you and and I know that every author will say it's my baby when it comes down to these <laughs> stories and it's like it's mine and I don't want to share it with other people and and I know that we have talked about that as well of how close these characters are because you did write these stories mm-hmm. as part of your therapy sessions and stuff like that so there's also a, a lot more in death versus the maybe perhaps a traditional type of story that an author would write. There's definitely a lot of you in there in these different (laughs) characters and stuff like that. When it comes down to then casting your books for these characters and finding the right voice for them, because again, we all, when we're reading, we think we know what they sound like based on what we're reading. You as the author also have a similar concept, but then we have right. to cast them and then add the additional caveat of how these are also part of you. Can you talk to us about what your casting process is for, you know, has been like for Man of War. And I know that it kind of goes along with the other books as well that you have in your Right. Series. Okay. So I look at it two different ways. So there's two aspects. So forgive me if I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but there's method to my madness, really. Yes. Um, so there's a talent component, right? Like I know what they sound like in my head, right? Like I know how, for example, um, Roger Delancey sounds in my head, right? Like I know what I want. So when we're looking for voices, um, Jock was my original casting director, and now I work with Danielle Lanzarata over at Elysian Nightfall. When we were looking for a Delancey, I would say this is kind of a deeper voice. I need someone who can do sort of an Irish accent. I need somebody who can kind of sound a little diabolical, you know, who's, who's not afraid to go to dark places with a character. So I give some context, right? And now one of the things when I do an audition, I actually give them a write-up of what I'm looking for from the character. So to kind of help that, you know, give the, set the narrator up for success, right? I feel like if I give them some notes, it's not me totally being control freak, although I am. I usually now will give direction notes to somebody in an audition so that they kind of get a sense of what I'm looking for. Like I said, to set them up for success. And then I really also tell them, you know, give me everything you've got, you know, like I want them to play to the second balcony because that's really like, and I laugh about it, but it's really what I'm looking for from their performance. So I want to work with someone who's willing to go there for me, willing to dig into the character and and really take it to places to put their acting, you know, to, to good, you know, to, to good use, I guess is the best way to put it. So I listen for that in an audition. Did they go there? Could they maintain it through their whole performance in the audition? You know, if I gave them some direction through the audition, did they use it? Did they use my information? But also did they create upon it on their own? 
So not necessarily will they end up sounding exactly like the voice in my head, right? But they're gonna manifest the character and deliver it in a way that it's similar. The other thing that I can really tell is, did they read carefully? I'll look for what rhythm they pick up on the sentences. Did they pick up my rhythm? A perfect example of this is, is Tara Langella. When she does Dallas, she's so um, very fast paced. She's very deliberate. She's very strong and she's almost very nervous and energetic at times. And that's how Dallas is delivered on the paper. So it's like she could really dig in and understand not only the direction, but she understood the character. So I look for that when I'm listening. So it's multiple things. Is the voice pleasing or is it menacing? Which one am I looking for? Do I want that type of voice? Then are they taking my direction, but also are they, you know, really encompassing the character? Because it's hard in an audition, right? You've got like how many pages or what have you. The other aspect of it, and this is actually very serious. So is the business end of it. I am first and foremost, just like all authors of businesswoman. I, I am self-published. I run my old show. I roll my own show. So anyone I bring into my sphere, whether it be an editor, whether it be a promotion person, whether it be a producer, they have to be somebody as a business person that I feel like I can work with them in the business environment, right? So when you interview for a job, you don't just like, well, an audition is part of the interview, but you, you learn about the person, you know, what other work have they done? You know, what is their social media presence if they have one? How do they interact with fans if they do, you know, um, you know, what have other people, what's been their experience working with other authors? Is this a good opportunity for them? Is it good for my brand? Is it good for their brand? You know, and then certainly, you know, are, do they, do, are they known for getting things done on time? You know, do they respond to emails, do all these things? I mean, because ultimately we're entering into a business relationship, right? I want them know, to know when they come to work with TJ, TJ is going to do X, Y, and Z when they work with me. And I want to know when I work with them, they're going to do X, Y, and Z when I work with them. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it, it's, it's a business collaboration and it's, it's, I want it to be as beneficial for them as it is for me, as it is for my producer, because really I wouldn't hire a producer without doing my back work, right? I wouldn't hire an editor without doing my back work. So I also look at my narrator the same way and I would hope they look at me the same way. You know, they ask other people what it's like working with TJ, you know, what are her books like, or, you know, whatever. Um, because you want, it, the business, I think of it as a triangle, right? You have the producer, you have me and you have the narrator. And if we're all in sync and we're all working together, we're all helping each other for the best part of the book. So their intervention, their input, the producer's input, the pr producer's intervention, and then mine. And so we all need to be able to work together for the benefit of the book. So I invest in these individuals and then, you know, in my situation, it's a saga. So they're coming back and they're coming back and they're coming back. So, you know, we want, I want all of us to, to feel proud of the work. I want us to all be able to support each other and I want it to be a good experience all the way around. So the way you do that is by doing your homework. And, and I suggest that every author and every narrator and every production company should, or hopefully does do those things. But, um, so I take it very seriously. And I know that was a long winded answer, but it's not a simple thing. I, I very rarely do I go on a narrator on gut. I'm going to be very honest with you. It's multifactorial. I will say that there was, there was probably one narrator. It was like, oh, I just have to have this person. Like there was just nothing about it. Like it didn't matter who he was. And now granted, he, I, he's amazing and all those things, but it was really on gut. You know, I just really needed this person in my cast, but predominantly it's very much, a, it, it's a very methodical, thoughtful process. So. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I, again, it goes back to a uh, part of it is this is your baby. 
you know, this right. is you, you worked your ass off to get it. And it's also not a, you know, 45 page, a hundred page kind of a book and not that that would diminish it or anything. No, but your books are hefty. You know, I'm committing them to 600 pages. Yes. You know? I mean, absolutely. And I'm committing them to potentially seven books, six books. If this is something, you know, I don't, I don't like to go moving people around. I want, I'd love to get people on board and we all work together. So you know, I, I'm looking for people to, to see the vision too. You know what I mean? Um, so that, that all plays into it. And, and I, I take recommendations too, you know, like I have to give you credit. Um, you, <laughs> you gave me one of the most brilliant recommendations ever. And um, I, I'm so grateful for him. And I got, you know, recommendations from, you know, some other individuals that I, I I've just been so fortunate that they've been just great recommendations. So you know, I, I'm very thoughtful. I really do look at all these things. I look at, you know, like I said, social media presence, all those different things, because it's important, because it's important. Um, it, it's just, it, it really does all matter in, in you know, in the end. And, um, and I've been blessed. I've been incredibly blessed. You know, I work with the most amazing people and I, I hope that they feel that same way. You know, granted, they have lots of work to do and they have lots of contracts they do. Um, but I always hope that when they come to do a contract with me, that they, they know they're going to have fun for the time we're together and they're going to enjoy the experience. And so that's the goal ultimately. Yeah. And it's, it's great that we're, we're talking about this because you came into this as a, you know, when it came down to the first book, you had never done audio before you had not done anything no. <laughs> to do with that. And, uh, and, and, and that's usually the case, you know, uh, there's always a first mm-hmm. and for the authors, sometimes some are fortunate that they have other peers and friends in the industry that have done it. And they kind of like write off the coats a bit of that knowledge and that skill set, And they'll have a production company already in mind to do the work and what this looks like. Mm-hmm. And they'll have these conversations. You came into it, not like that at all. You were like, hi, I have 600 yeah. and I want multicast. <laughs> I, you know, Patrick brought that up too. God bless him for, for bringing it up too. He's like, man, you just came out like gangbusters. Um, you know, balls to that, the walls, yeah. <laughs> balls to the walls, as I said it, balls to the walls. Um, you know, that really goes to the brilliance of, of Jacqueline Protho. Um, she, she, I didn't even want to do audio, to be very frank. Um, I was just happy in my corner with my, my book and going, yeah, this is, I wrote it and I wrote it in counseling. And I really, and truly when I say I didn't really care if anybody bought it, I just needed to do it for myself. Cause like I said, I really do write from counseling and, and to put respect to this month is mental health month and, and that this was my, my mental health journey and continues to be my ongoing journey, every story that I write. But, um, Jock, I was at an event called once upon a book. It takes place in Frankie Muth, Michigan. And she saw me and she's like, that book belongs in audio. And I'm like, have you read this book? And we've had this conversation before. Right. Um, but she, and she and I dialogued about it. And at that point I said, really the book can't just be one narrator. Like it needs to be a few. So we went with the original version with a full cast, but it wasn't done like duet style per se, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Um, but when I heard those four voices, um, I just, I wanted to hear the truth of it is I wanted to hear the brilliance of Shane East against, um, Patrick Zeller and hear Shane against the brilliance of Tara and hear Tara against the brilliance of Marnie and Marnie against, I wanted to hear them against each other so that when we came to the trader, I, I just wanted to elevate though I wanted them to have their own brilliant performances as the characters that they had so incredibly created of my work. So that's really how 
that kind of happened. Like it was just, it was purely out of selfishness, right? Like I was like, if no one ever buys my audio and no one ever listens to it, I don't really care. This is what I want to hear. I want to hear all these performances against each other. And it just, I mean, well, they won two Sovas. They're, they're brilliant. I mean, they've won three technically. Um, and they brought in a fan base that I didn't have. Um, I, audio has been a blessing and a gift to me. It gave me a voice uh, when I really didn't have one as an author. It gave me a space where I finally felt like I belonged. Um, and it gave me a fan base that really kind of fell in love with my work. I blame them and I blame Jock. And I blame even Danielle Lanzarata too, um, my, my new producer, um, because they elevated it. You know, the words are mine, but they elevated it. And so um, I'm really, it, it's been an interesting journey. But yes, I was like green and I knew nothing about duet style. I knew nothing about multicast. I knew none of this stuff. I'm gonna be really honest. I had no one who helped me. I just really came into the business very green and, and learned a thing or two. And, and here I am now, book three, right? In audio, yeah. so- yeah. Is mm -hmm. it book three or technically four now, isn't it? Well, technically this is four. This is the fourth book. And yeah. It's a so I want to yeah. always put that out there that anyone can just listen to Man of War. You don't have to listen to the other one. Okay. Got it. Technically. <laughs> yes. Book three is the turncoat. So that's the next audio coming, but we decided to do Man of War because it would draw, it was an independent standalone. So people could say, okay, I'm going to try TJ London and see if I like it. So this was their opportunity to try, well, granted that's 600 pages. So I don't know if that's a taste or more like, a, you know, <laughs> most people do novellas. TJ goes full-fledged saga. <laughs> I go, I go balls to the walls as I told Patrick, right? I go full throttle, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I need the, I have the need for speed quoting Maverick. Right. Um, but, but like, I, I, we decided to do Man of War to say, okay, if people are really not into Revolutionary War, a lot of people like Royal Navy, and this is a standalone. So if you listen to it and you're like, this sucks, I don't want to ever listen again, you don't miss anything. You've got the, the whole story. But if you listen to it and you're like, this is interesting, you may go and want to listen to the Tory and the Traitor, and then obviously eventually the Turncoat and the Rebel. So, yeah. Yeah. And, but I also meant like, this is now going to be your fourth book in audio. It, yeah, well, right now I only have two. So I have oh, yeah. the Tory and the Traitor. This is, yeah, Turncoat's not made yet. You're, That's you're, right, you're, yeah. you're ahead of me by a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. This is what happens when you know insider information. Sorry. <laughs> I know. That's the problem. That's the problem. The people who know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Yeah. And, um, and wait, and hold on. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty honest about it too. Like if people ask, because you would believe how many people are like, when am I going to get the Turncoat? Damn it. When am I going to get it? And I'm like, there's, there's method to my madness. Just go on the journey with TJ. There, there's a plan here. I got a plan. I'm going to take yeah. care of you girls. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to take care of you guys. You know, I'm going to take care of you. But, uh, but yeah, so this is number three. This will be yeah. three. But I feel like it's more like six because they're such big books. Yeah. Um, I think that's also probably that's, what I'm thinking about the, the numbering and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. but, the, but also what I wanted to kind of say is that with it now being officially technically your third audiobook, there's stuff now that you've done that you've learned from not doing yeah. in the past. And so the, uh, the one thing that you did differently with this book is that you literally provided each of the narrators with a, you know, short descriptive and information on these characters that they're going to be voicing some of their, you know, the, the nuances and mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, descriptive, but you also said, and have fun. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the, the thing is that I, that I got from the chat that we did with the villains, and, um, they were very appreciative of that. They were like, oh my God, thank you. 
so much yeah. for all that. And I, that's why I kind of wanted to bring you back after one of the, the calls is to kind of get that perspective is that sometimes we think that it might be micromanaging or that we're in control and we're being a controlling yes. person. But the reality of it is that the narrators like it when they're provided with guidance and provided with some insight, because then as Patrick said, the guessing game is not included and they don't have to right. worry about, um, am I doing it the right way? And then do have to do pickups because it wasn't the same vision that, you know, they may have grabbed at it or there was something that was just slightly different, but they had to, they had to tweak it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I was very like, oh, okay. That, you know, this is not I something new too. that you're doing. Yeah. How did that I make you too. feel? So, um, in the trader, I maybe gave like one line about the character and in the Tory, I really didn't give much, you know, Danielle, um, I have to give her so much. She's also an author herself. So I have to, I, and she and I just really talked about the fact that we really wanted, we, she just really believes, and, and this is, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, lot of production companies do, but I'm just going to speak on my own. She just really believed that my input, because I wanted to give it, because not everybody does, not every author wants to be involved, but I did, I did. And she just really believed whatever input you can give us, both in an audition, as well as when we actually hire them and they're going to perform, is, is a gift, right? Like she looked at it like, you know, the more the merrier, the more we enlighten them, the more we're going to get a better production. We're going to get what we want. There's less pickups, all of the following, right? So when I, my fear is that I'm a, I'm a micromanager, like, and I, cause I'm not really in my real life in my real job. I'm kind of like, man, do whatever you want. Like, I don't care. Um, but when it comes to my art, I recognize that I'm very controlling and I, and I recognize that's my fault. Right. But I think it, it, it comes, at least I can make the explanation for myself. I can't make for another author. One of the things is that like, I, because I write from counseling, I write from a very intimate place. Right. So anytime I share my work with somebody and certainly when someone is acting out your work when they're interpreting they're getting very intimately close to your character right so when you're allowing them into that intimate space there's a, a for me it was very challenging to open up my doors without meeting these individuals and allow them into my space it made me very protective of the characters like who are these people reading my characters who are these people getting into my space right <laughs> you know and then it was like i'm going to tell you how you're going to do it you're going to do it my way damn it you know what i mean and then it feels like you're being controlling like but you don't know them and they don't know you and it's this weird it's wizard of oz feeling that don't look at that person behind the curtain you know don't pay attention so you end up in this weird environment um when it doesn't need to be actually um i think i think so for me, I think the best thing about being able to give them direction and feedback is one, like you said, it makes it easier for them. I get more of what I want, but it also, and it, while it's helpful for them in terms of direction, it's helpful for me in terms of like trust. So if I give them feedback and suggestions on what to do and they take those and they use them and you're hearing it in the performance, you're like, there's a trust in a that's being built there as well. So there's a respect, there's a trust, there's a, but also leaving them the space to create is also giving them some trust too and some leeway. So like, again, it's that, 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 that pyramid that I talk about, the flow, like when one of the characters, Patrick and I were working on, me and Danielle, and he's like, well, I could do this, or what about this? And yeah, yeah, that works because he knows what I'm looking for and he's gonna play with it his way with some of his ideas. So 
it gives them the ability to be on point, right? But then to also bloom within what you want them to do. So within what you're looking for so that everybody's happy, right? The narrator's happy, the author is happy, the production company is happy. So I was always afraid when I provided those suggestions that people thought I was being a control freak. Um, but it was more of me wanting what I wanted, but also wanting to say, to see what they would do with it. And would they trust me enough to, to direct them? Cause I'm like a director, right? Do they trust my direction enough? And then, you know, I show them that I trust their performance. So it's, 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 I don't know, that sounds really like a long convoluted answer, but. No, I think it, it brings up a good point about, you know, the involvement of the author. And, and again, it, it, it all depends on, on what the author wants to. Some authors are like, exactly. Here's a page, go for it. And, and, and they're fine with it. They don't want to be involved in, in, because it is also an additional level of work. But again, right. providing them with that guidance of who these characters are, it, it, it's very helpful, I, as you mentioned, on all these different, you know, platforms as far as the different levels but even as, as a final product of the listener enjoying the story you kind of get a better sense of they got the character they understood the assignment yes <laughs> it, so the homework was environment, done right you know? yeah the homework was done they understood it they're providing it and so when now the the the, the words that you wrote down totally matches the performance it's like, yeah, that's when the magic happens. And, you know, it's one of my dearest friends. She was listening to Nicholas narrate this sequence that's in. And like I've mentioned this before in my clips um, where um, there's a soliloquy at the beginning of all my books for people who read them. And Merrick is talking about, you know, he's talking about I am a man of war and the HMS Boudicca is my queen. And she, she was like, oh my God, I could hear you speaking through him. Like, and when you can become one with a narrator, like when they are one with your performance and your words, it's like in a movie, like, right. When the, when the actor is one with the performance and you feel it. And I think it's even more powerful in your ears than in a movie because it's so intimate. Yeah. It's you and the, as the listener and the voice, it's an incredibly intimate experience. Maybe that's why I blush during my own sex scenes. Right. It's very intimate. <laughs> right. Um, but when, when I'm listening to, um, you know, uh, I, and I'm going to use it for, for lack of a better example, but because that's my previous book, when I would listen to Tara deliver Dallas in some of the very painful scenes in the trader, she could reduce me to tears and take me to those places, you know, where I wrote the story, she could intimately become me and my memories. So, I mean, granted as the author, if she's moving me to tears and this is my story, what could she be doing for the reader? And my whole goal with my audios is I want readers to feel like they heard a movie, like they're not watching the movie, they're listening to it. So, and that was one of the notes I gave to all of them besides have fun, play to the second balcony or play to the fourth balcony, which Drew made the joke that he played to the fifth balcony or whatever, um, <laughs> but which he was hysterical. Oh my gosh. But, and even John made the comment that I said, you know, play to the second balcony and that I, I want them to stretch themselves as far as they can and, and, and grow and become as actors um, because they stretch and they stretch my words. They take them places that I can't take it on the paper, right? And they can take the listener to a place that I can't adjust my words. So I struggled with the idea of handing my words over to narrators. I'm like, they're my words, damn it. I own them. Um, 
And now I've learned my lesson, the gift of what they can do with my words, what a brilliant actor can do with them, the places they can take them. Karma, the whore that always gets paid. Um, but what is the price when, you know, in, in like when, when John Carlyle says that at the beginning of the Tory, I mean, you know, Shane narrates that and it's just, you, you want to go, well, what is the price? You know, karma is the whore that always gets paid, but what is the price when there's so much blood on your hands? I can just say that you can just read that, but he can make you wonder. You know, or when, you know, when Nicholas says, I am a man of war and the HMS Boudicca is my queen, like you, he takes you to that ocean and you see the wide open ocean and you hear the sails rippling and you feel the wind in your face and only a narrator can take you there. And so this is my pitch for the the, the human voice here, um, you know, as the, we had this debate online about, you know, AI and, and narration. Um, but the truth is, is that only a human voice and in, in, in someone who's brilliant, you know, can take it there. So. Um, so that's, you know, my, my, my suggestions um, and their performance, you know, if I can give them anything to help them, absolutely. And, and they, and they've given me so much by, by sharing with me their thoughts too. So, yeah. And there's just the dynamic of being able to, for the narrators, if they have a question to come and reach out to you saying, Hey, you know, on this upcoming scene, cause I'm going to be in the booth in 30 minutes, um, yeah. blah, 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 you know, just being able to connect with that because sometimes especially when it's, you know, it's one thing when the, when there's one narrator doing the entire book and they've done mm -hmm. their homework and they know what's going to happen. But when there's so many different moving pieces and so many different characters, you want them to read the whole book. So they kind of know where those aha moments and dun, dun, dun happen. Yes. But at the same time, there's still one thing to read it. And then another thing to perform it. It's almost like a wave one, like almost like a, you know, first edition and the second version of it. Um, when you're doing the writing, there's always going to be something else that pops in. You're going, Oh, Oh. And so having yeah. you provide them with that insight, but also having them be able to send you the notes and say, Hey, in about 30 minutes, I'm about to get in the booth. Um, and I have this one question regarding this one in my, in my, is, is my dun, 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 the right dun, 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 you know? <laughs> you know who did that a lot was James. Um, James yeah. Cheatham had so many different voices because he did a lot of the sailors. And he sent me these clips and they made my day. I was having like a shit day that day too. And I get this message from James. Hey, can you listen to this and tell me what you think? And I was listening and it was just so brilliant. We posted it. We ended up posting on Instagram. Probably a lot of people who are listening to this saw it. But one that that made my day, but also the thought process and that he wanted my feedback. Um, like John Hartley also sent us a couple different clips and he's like, I can do it this way. I can do it this way. I can do it this way. I'm like, you can do it any way you want to John Hartley. Um, but, <laughs> but, but if we're, if you're asking me to be technical here, um, like as me and Danielle are, are, are texting each other back and forth, we're like, Oh my God, they all sound amazing. We have to choose. Um, so we, we chose one. Um, and we went back to him and said, you know, what do you think about this? He's like, yeah, yeah, that actually makes sense. This probably sounds the best. This is what I think. Um, and so it, it was great. And, and I make it a point, like, I understand not everybody can do that. Not every author wants to. I make it a point to be available. They know that. Like I start the, I start, I set the table from the beginning with the cast, as well as with Danielle. I am only a text away. I will always respond, but that's me. And that's my commitment to, to them, you know, in my part of the deal, when I make a deal and bring these people on, I, this is what I offer them. You know, if they're going to come on and do, they're going to get my undivided attention and my support. So. Yeah. And I think that they were, from what I gathered in the conversation we were having with the villains, they all were so appreciative of that. And 
truly, I mean, um, you guys are going to be listening to it, but a lot of them were on camera and it was so nice to see how they were, you know, you know, the, the verbal behaviors as far as the physical, like how they were like, oh yeah. Ooh, that was so good. It was just so, it was like, for me, it was like, Ooh, I love this job, <laughs> but I, truly, I know. Yeah. But it was really nice because sometimes it's, a you know, I kind of wanted to mention how you, and I did touch a little bit on it with, the, with them on the, in that chat, but here too, I want to kind of touch on it, that it's funny how we automatically bust out with us being control freaks. And I think part of it too, is how women are looked at versus how men are looked at as far as, you know, mm-hmm. the boss versus the controlling bitch, you know, for an right. example. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how things, the, the different dynamics kind of happen. It's okay. If, if a guy's being quote unquote controlling, he's being a leader. If a woman right. does it, they're being controlling bitch. Um, and so I kind of like having some of these conversations, not to get deeper into politics or anything like that. But again, it goes back to May is also mental health, as you mentioned it month and how we also do our own psyche, you know, kind of a thing. And we're like, am I being right? You're second guessing yourself and you're going, you know, you're going, and you're like an entire conversation in your head. Me and Danielle go through that a lot. We really, really do. And we laugh about it because we both call each other. We're like, we're recovering control. We're not recovering control freaks. (laughs) (laughs) We're non-recovering control freaks. And we laugh at it all the time. But I will say that through my college experience and all my, my education, I learned something very important. When you are the person at the top, I think of the process as a pyramid, right? Like I, I pay the bills. I'm the author, right? I'm at the top (laughs) and, and I have my production company. And then I have my narrators that work with me. Right. And just like, I think about that pyramid, when it comes to my book, I write the book. I've got my first level of editor at my second level, my cover artist, all the different things, right? I think about it in a pyramid. Okay. And everything I do, I try to lead by example. Um, and that's including professionalism. It's including communication. It's including direction and information needs to flow in both directions. Right. But if you're not setting a good example and, and, and setting the precedent when you're working with a team and, and then you're, then you're, you know, you're not leading the right way. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. People at times will look at that. Like, is that overly aggressive? Is it a control freak? I look at it more as like, it's, it's, it's a business model that I, I try to always use in everything that I do. And that everyone who works with me knows that, you know, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to lead by example. If I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to support the team always, you know, I always learned that you give your credit away. You don't take credit when you're the leader, you know, you, you support the people that work with you. You know, those are things that I was just ingrained in me and I try to use them in all aspects of my life. And yes, it can be misinterpreted many ways and it can be interpreted as a control freak. And you're absolutely right. As a woman, at times it can be, it can be felt that way. Luckily for me in the arts, you don't see that as much. You know what I mean? Like the, it's, it's a lot different in this field. But it's just the fact that you even use those words was kind of like what I was going, because again, like you're, you're just, and, and I'll let you go on about it being the arts weird. It's, you know, especially when it comes down to the, within the romance genre, even though you also write historical fiction, it's, it's just one of those things that's, you know, written by women for women and, you know, stuff like that. But we're still using these words that, oh, I might be a control freak you know? Yeah. Yeah. And me and Danielle laugh about it. Like I said, we're non-recovering control freaks. We make no apologies. And there's so many times where I'm like, dude, Danielle, you're being a control freak. She's like, I'm not apologizing. It's not something I'm apologizing for. And we laugh about it. And we're non-recovering perfectionists. 
Um, it's part of being in medicine. Um, there is no room for mistakes in medicine. There just isn't. Um, and so we grow up with the discipline when you go through residency and these things of, of you don't make mistakes. And if you do make mistakes, you own up to them, right? Um, and you don't necessarily give a lot of kudos every day, but you give a big kudo at the end. And I, you know, and, and, and I always have to remind myself and my counselor always tells me, Tracy, gratitude, gratitude. You must show gratitude, right? Don't take your medical profession into your other, your real world. So I'll send these messages to Danielle. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for you. And she's like, are you having a moment? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'll send messages out to my narrators. I'm so grateful for you. Um, but you know, you, you get that fear. Um, I think it's a little bit of gaslighting too, maybe, um, or maybe I gaslight myself too at times where I'm afraid of being a control freak and afraid of not giving enough gratitude when I truly am. Um, but I'm hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist and Danielle is too. We're non-recovering as we admit. Um, but you have to remember that not everybody, that's not always their ethos too. Um, so, you know, you have to be mindful of that and understand you have to kind of rein it in and recognize, you know, the fine balance between what your isms are, what your issues are and, and, you know, and how you use that in the business world in a good and in a bad way. And so it can be used in a good way and it, it can be used. And I will admit, like we talk about in the beginning, when I first started, I, I was very much having a hard time separating. And that was about me emotionally separating myself from the characters and allowing them to grow and be seen through the eyes of other people. And that was very much about me because I'm a perfectionist and, and a control freak, right? If we want to use those words. So there are, there are things that you can do to help that along, but you also have to, you know, you have to rein it in yourself, right? And recognize that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And recognize that it's part of yourself. I drive myself hard as a writer, as a professional, as an individual, but that's not everybody's ethos either. And so you have to balance that. Absolutely. Because it can quickly become you just being obnoxious. Um, so I, I, I try never to get into that realm. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, every time I've ever yeah. worked with you on anything from, even if it's just a scheduling for this podcast, I mean, when we first talked about having the round tables with your narrators, it was uh, an idea that I, that, you know, we were talking and stuff like that. And I'm like, it'd be great just because a, the more, the merrier and just mm -hmm. getting everybody almost in the same room. But there's also so many different facets to that concept, <laughs> you right. know, communications and emails and getting everybody scheduled. And I'm like, ah, I do that in my day job, you know, you know, outlook queen here right. kind of a thing, but you were always very much of like, how can I help? do you need anything? Do I need to do this for you? Can I, how can I do this? And I was also like, wow, that's so nice <laughs> because I'm not um, used to it. Cause I'm usually the one organizing everything for everybody else. And well, it, you know, and it's just, uh, and you were never once ever saying, is it done? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? It was one of those like, so, Hey, what can I do to help? I'm like, Oh my God. Well, you probably didn't catch me on a certain week of the month. I hate to say that, but, um, <laughs> but, but also knowing that because you also know that I am on top of it. I think that if, if I wouldn't have been on top of it either, and you would not have known that you would have been on like, is it done yet? That's the other well, thing. You too. Know, honestly, for me personally, um, I lead by example and I take that into every conversation, even when it's with somebody and I'm partnering with them, I always go into every situation going, how would I how do, how would I want to receive this information? Like, I always look at every dialogue I have, like, how would I want to receive this? And I'm very introspective. That's part of counseling because I recognize that I can be very intimidating to people, certainly at times when I'm full throttle, right? When I'm balls to the walls. So I try to go into every situation going, first of all, people have lives, they have business, they have things going on that I don't know about. We all do, right? Like the world goes on 
outside of this. Um, and so I always try to like facilitate in any way that I can, because as I see myself as always being the leader on this project. So you're coming in and saying to me, I want to do a podcast. I'm still overarching the leader on this. So my goal is to facilitate you always as a leader. And I look, I take that feeling when I deal with him, she does all my publicity, publicity stuff. I love her. And whenever I deal with her, how do I facilitate? Like, how do I overarchingly? And it's not me being a control freak. It's being me responsible. I have to look at myself as a business and a brand. And so whenever I partner with everybody, whether it's you or another platform, you know, if, if I'm going to be involved in this, then it's my job as the overarching leader to facilitate always. So um, I never mean for it to be, thank goodness, I never came across as a control freak. Oh, absolutely um, not. My- no, that, that's why I wanted to kind of address that because I know you you had said it in, you know, with the, with the chat with the, the, the narrators and even on, our, on some of our personal conversations. And I'm like, I, no, no, I appreciate you wanting to help. And I appreciate you if I need something, the, the fear, the, the fear of, do I got to ask her for something is never there for me. I know that I can come to you and say, Hey, do you happen to have the artwork for blah, 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 blah. Or do you happen to have this? And, and, and we can have that dialogue without it being on pins and needles and stuff like that, or me going and trying to find it and maybe not get the right one, <laughs> you know? You know, and, and, and that's the other thing I, and I will tell you this, I'm a control freak about the look of my brand. Yeah, um, and, and, and Kim, Kim knows that, like, she's always like, I mean, she, she and I really are very much in sync, but she knows everything related to the look of my brand. And also because I deal with some very delicate content, I'm very controlling of how it's always portrayed, like where it's seen, how it's seen. You you need to be mindful of these things in today's climate and respectfully at any time in any climate, right? I just take, I take everything very, very seriously. You know, I, I, this is a passion project for me. The, the, the Rebels and Redcoat Saga is a passion project. So if I'm going to put my passion in it, I'm going to put my passion into it completely. And anybody, like I said earlier on the call with, uh, with, with my, my villains, anyone who joins in, in some way in my brand becomes a part of my family. They just do, whether it be in publicity, whether it be in edits, whether it be in voicing and everything. So I want to always make them feel like they come into my brand and have a positive experience. I mean, granted that happens sometimes where it doesn't, you know, God forbid, but you know, you want to make it you want to make it good for everybody. And so, so like I said, and you are doing a huge, I mean, the the podcast was amazing for me, you know, to, to sit them all down and get them all together. It's like herding cats. I remember we talked about this. It's like herding cats, like, no, Hamilton, go this way. Hamilton, go this way. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, but when you get them all together, it's the beauty of that chemistry. You know, it was, there was so much chemistry in that podcast today, which everyone will get to hear. Right. Um, and, and the last that we had and, and the uniqueness of all the individuals involved and they, they just, it's like a beautiful bouquet that blooms, you know, when they all come together. And so you want to be the, the, the little ribbon that holds the bouquet together. So that's kind of my goal to be that like ribbon, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it, it, it so. was great. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's one of those where I got to learn a lot from these, you know, in some of the conversations and just seeing how their process works. And I know that you got to go, Ooh, I did oh yeah. Think, so much know? fun. So much fun. Right. <laughs> Yeah, And the other thing too, that, that you said, um, that I kind of wanted to go back a little bit on, on when it comes down to the casting, there have been times when you're like, they, someone has auditioned for a particular role and you're going, Hmm, not for that one, but for the other one. Ooh. (laughs) Yes. 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 Um, I have a few of those actually. So 
it's interesting. And I have people that I auditioned and I didn't take them initially. And I, I did go back to them too. So um, for me, it, you know, auditioning is a funny thing. I, I just, um, people stay, you know, the performance may be brilliant, but it may not be right for that character, but like, I'll hear something and I want, I want them somewhere else. Um, and there's one particular role, I, I won't say who it is, but um, he was amazing, amazing in his, in his audition for one character. But then I was like, but he's not that character. He's this character, right? Um, and thankfully he was, you know, so generous and so kind. He was like, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do this. And I know where they're going to shine. And it, it has a lot to do with what you hear in their voice and what they deliver in an audition. So, uh, you know, it was interesting. Um, a, a narrator recently posted on, on Twitter about like the audition and, you know, that auditions are important and, you know, don't give up just because you don't get the job, right? And I absolutely agree a brilliantly done audition several times has inspired me down the road to bring people in or bring people back. So there are people I did turn down for roles that I went back and said later, no, I want you in my next book or I want you here. I'm really thoughtful about that. Um, you know, you can learn a lot about a narrator by what they give you in the audition. Like we said earlier, like I said earlier, you know, and it, it, it's just, um, so it's happened to me a few times. It absolutely has happened to me a few times. And also, you know, when it comes down to those auditions, that's why I love it when narrators also share clips of others' works that they've done on social media, because sometimes the audition wasn't what, you know, it, yes. it wasn't right for that role, but then you hear them in a different book. I'm, I'm talking about like, it could have been a commercial. It could have been a PNR, totally not right. genre that you're in. And all of a sudden you hear that voice and you're going, Ooh, him or her. That's how I found Jason one. Clark. Yeah. I found him through someone else's book, um, through Danielle's book. I heard him in Sinners and I was just like, which one is he? Like, I can't tell which voice he is. Um, and the minute I, I, I was like, I've got to have him on my book. I just got to have it. Um, and we brought him in for man of war, but really I have him in mind for another character. I was like, he's got to be this character. Like he has to be right. Um, and then we brought him in for man of war also. So absolutely, you know, depending on where you hear them, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to think of a good example, like uh, James, I had never heard of James before. I didn't know him. Jacques had recommended me and I went and listened to Stacey Rourke. He did some work with Stacey Rourke, who's a, a brilliant author. And I was just like, I heard a clip of hers and I was like, who is that? She's like, that's James. Um, so, you know, in, in a lot of, I don't know other authors, but I do myself. I listen to every clip that rolls across my Twitter. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, do I like that voice? And I make notes of them, you know? And so I kind of collect like my own like voice thing when I'm looking for someone and I go back and look at them again, right? So my word, you know, my suggestion to narrators out there is we're, you know, some of us authors are really listening. We're, we're listening to that stuff. We're looking at that stuff. And, and I appreciate those incredible performances that they're, that they're putting out in other people's books. They give me examples and ideas for my own. I mean, that's how I find them, you know, is it's really, by, by, well, by suggestions, like by, from you, Viv, right? Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I do. <laughs> I love one of the, the one of the things I realized. Is, I know it's one of those things that I was like, if I could help an author cast a, a, a you know a character and have that be the right voice for them, that to me is golden and it's so so gratifying to have you guys be so happy with it. And so casting is always something that I I love doing. And when yeah. I have learned that you were looking for additional narrators because you know your saga was you know there's going to be more characters there's going to be different mm -hmm. spinoffs and stuff like that I was like 
I had heard John, um, and I mentioned it in the Kristen Ashley book before, and I was, and I did not know that he did three different characters. I thought there were three individual different narrators for these individual characters. Right. And, and Kristen was like, no, honey, that's just the same dude. And I'm like, no. And, <laughs> and that's how my love affair with John Hartley began. And now it's one of those where I've, because we spend more time together, he and I, and I've gotten to, to know him better and, and listen to his catalog of books but also in conversation he'll you know he'll share that he's done this or he's done that and so when I then talk to the authors and you were talking I'm going you've got to check out John Hartley <laughs> and, and I, I love it the book I think the book he recommended to me was a really naughty 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I was like talk to me baby I mean like yeah. I was just like whoa um and I'm like not how I picture Rene Levesque but okay um, and it was funny because when we reached out to him, he was like, I do French. Oh yeah, I speak it fluently. I'm like, well, do you know? Um, and so then he did his, he did, he sent the audition for Rene. And I was like, cause like my biggest fear, like I said in that podcast, in the earlier podcast, I said, I don't want Pepe Le Pew and I don't want Dirty French Man, but I don't know what I'm going to get here. And he delivers this just incredible. I mean, Danielle was like, oh my God, Trace, you got to listen to this. You got to, you just have to hear this. And so I was listening to it going, good Lord, you know, he's amazing. Right. And then he flips into Scottish, like a couple, you know, minutes later. Um, so, um, and that's the thing I, I take recommendations, you know, and there's a gentleman who is coming into the turncoat, which I can't give away yet. It's a secret. Um, but he, <laughs> um, he auditioned for me and I was like, mm, I don't know. I was like on the fence. Right. And then I started to listen to some of his work he had done since then. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. He just didn't do this in the audition for me. And so, uh, but I know he can. So we're going to, I'm going to hit him back up for that later. Right. And so I reached out to him and I was like, I recognize this is not maybe your, like, you know, your normal genre, but would you be willing to come over to the dark side? We have cookies and stabby <laughs> things and, and big guns. And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, absolutely. I'm down for it. So, um, so we're, we're, I'm plucking a romance great and I'm pulling him into the historical. So big surprise coming with that one. And I, and I'm plucking another romance, uh, great. Um, and I'm also going to be throwing them into historicals. I get my dirty little fingers into, into all the different pies, I guess. But I mean, even Jason, I think this would be his first historical fiction. I think that, you know, when it comes uh, down to that it. would be amazing. If I, I have to ask him next time when I talk to him, did I pop your cherry? I'd be kind of excited. <laughs> um, I love that. This in is a how really like... twisted way. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> um, in a very twisted way, but you know, like, um, bringing him into historical, I was really, now he's a kind of a jack of all trades. You know, he does it all. He doesn't just do romance. And so I don't think it was a reach, a, a jump or a leap for him to do historical. I think it was only a matter of time. I'm just glad that I can say, me, hopefully that I'm the first one. But the other thing too, I mean, all kidding aside, because I think that that's something too, that sometimes, especially in romance, there's a there's this um, fixation of how hot and sexy they sound, but not everything right. that is being said is hot and sexy. And yet they're still it no. to the, that level of performance. And Jason Clark, and John Harley and all of your cast. I mean, the ladies are like phenomenal as well. You know, Marnie and Tara and, and Catherine. Yes. It's just one of those things where the what they're bringing is so much more than just that sexiness, you know? Yeah, yeah the there's so factor. much more. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. And you know, here's the thing, and I will use two really good examples. Again, for lack of a better situation, I'm going to talk about my own stories. 
um, but in, in the trader. Um, uh, one is Tara in some of the, the very sad scenes in the story, like the fragility of her voice um, and of her performance takes us to that very emotional place. Even Shane in, in some of the scenes where that he's just giving us the angst of what, what John Carlyle is going through. I mean, that's just as incredible. You know, obviously the smolder is always lovely, right? Like we all love that component of it, but I'm trying to, you know, mine's not just a romance, right? We're, we're taking them into a historical world, into a story. So can, the, you know, when they create that power of, you know, we believe that John Carlyle is, is a soldier. We believe that Roger Delancey is, is a violent man through Patrick's performance. Like we believe those things. Um, and that's sexy too. You know, we believe that um, we believe that Marnie is just absolutely bitter and jaded as 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 Celeste. Like that's incredible too. And our my women in my story, um, I, I love the women who narrate for me. I, I feel so bonded to these ladies. They they bring in the heart of the story with their amazing performances. And, and, and I love to talk about the men, right? Like I get it. It's easy in the romance world to really focus on them, but we really need to focus because we're really seeing no matter what, especially for women, predominantly listeners, we see things through the eyes of the woman. Now, while we're enjoying the man's perspective, we are women seeing the story through the eyes of women, right? And so when, when, when you get a brilliant woman performer and she just, woman actor, and she, she just becomes that role like that another woman can feel her pain, can feel her sympathy, can take her, you know, she can bring that sympathy out of you. It's, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tara is in, in Marnie and Catherine and Shana, they are just, uh, I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're definitely like, I always say oftentimes that, that Tara Langella, if my soul had a voice that would be her, but I, I truly mean that she just, she and I just really connected in a way and Marnie too, and, and, and all of them. So um, I, not to just draw attention to the men, but to draw attention to the women too. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. It's just that there's, there's just more to that. I mean, again, I'm a, a, a straight, you know, a heterosexual woman and damn when certain words are said, but also it, it comes down to certain things like the, the charisma that they elude. And yeah, about like John Hartley has this thing where when he's talking to you, you kind of get a sense of he's, he's really paying attention. Oh my God. And it's just how he, he listens and how he talks and, and Marnie yes. who is um, a fantastic narrator. And, and like you were mentioning, Celeste is, is a bitter jaded woman, but Marnie is the happiest, sweetest, Oh my gosh! you know, right? like, she's so not like, that well, character, but damn, when right. I'm listening to her, I'm going, damn, Celeste is bitter. <laughs> well, and then like, I mean, look at Patrick Zeller, Oh my six. God. Like, could he there is... be a cooler, nicer guy, right? I know. And he, oh, and villainous. he just becomes the most evil, evil, evil. And, and, you know, and this was the thing why I gave him some funny, like easy characters in this book is because this man always reads all my really diabolical characters and he's so nice. I mean, he's mm -hmm. a family man. He's a nice guy. He's very, you know, I, I, I adore Patrick. I mean, he just is very special to me from, we've been working together since the beginning. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we were talking about earlier, John Hartley to me like oozes charm when you talk to him, right? Like you want to like, you know, just dot his brow and get some charm from him, you know? And he, when he delivers a performance, sometimes you really get that, you know, you get that evil from him, but yet you, when you talk to him, you're like, this is just this charming, really nice man. Right. You know? So it's, 
it's, it's, they're just, I don't know. They, they're just actors. I mean, I don't want, they're brilliant, brilliant actors. And that's like, for me, narration is not something I've ever wanted to try, nor would I. It's just not for me. And, and I have mad respect for the people who do it and can do it and the authors who can do it. I'd much prefer to listen to them than me. You can hear me if you're looking for me. If you're looking for me, you'll hear me in the words, in the performance. You'll hear me, right? Yeah, no, totally. And I think that that's something too that in this cast and in this story, you get to see just the different range that each of these narrators, their ability to perform goes from it. Again, from, you know, Marnie being the the, the bitter jaded woman to, to Drew being a five-year-old. <laughs> and, oh my uh, gosh. And, and a fun five-year-old yeah, too. <laughs> and, and, or, or the grumpy, really mean, you know, older man and stuff like that in there, as far as, you know, the character goes. And James, was it like what, 12 different sailors, I think it was, or 15? Yeah. I mean, and, and look at, I mean, we talked about John Hartley goes from being the absolute villain of the story to the heart of the story. Hey, Stephen McKesson, right? You know, um, and then, we, you know, and I did that purposely, which I told them, you know, we went down the road of, I wanted to push them to see what extremes they could do. And, and it was amazing to see how they delivered, you know, uh, you know, how they played with it, right? And how different, you know, obviously those characters are from who they really are. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm just amazed. I'm in awe of their abilities. You know, it takes... You, there's so much you have to do to use your voice. And, and when you're an actor on a screen, not to take away from screen actors, you have the physical to help you out, right? You have the body, you have the performance, you have the physical. As a voice actor, all you have is your voice. That's it. And the words. So you really have to be able to create so much with your voice. And, yeah, and bring and that emotion to it. Yeah. Right. Whether it's, it's a, a gift. Good example, think about Eddie Murphy, right? He voiced Donkey, okay? We all know all his great movies. He'd be coming to America. He did, you know, Bever uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. He's done lots of different movies. But we all remember Donkey. We all know Donkey, right? You never see Eddie Murphy in Shrek, but we all know Donkey, you know? And so that, 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 that's a testament to the ability of him to take his incredible voice and perform in a way that he resonates to all of us, right? And so I, I think um, I think that's the same thing with voice, like with voice actors. It's the same thing, right? They give us just a whole nother. They give us the body, the presence, the prose, all through their voice. Um, so I'm really fortunate to work with. I truly believe, like, just the most talented, talented uh, of team. They're just they're incredible, and and really, I've been led in the direction of finding them. Um, I've been given suggestions. I've gone out and looked for them. And so I, I find them, I pluck them from like, like leaves from a tree and I find them from different places. It's just yeah. how they come to me in different places. So. Yeah. But then also you replant them and the garden that you're <laughs> growing, the, the garden that you are growing girl is such yeah. a, a diverse group of talent that's really bring, I mean, your stories on the page are fantastic as, as is. And then the fact that you've done all this legwork and, you know, you've made sure that the commitment is there for these characters, for the narrators to come in. And it's just, it makes it again, like a completely, the garden is just fantastic. I mean, it's everything from it smells good to it looks good. It, it you know, I hope so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is the thing, like I told them, I'm like, once, the, once I get my hooks in them, they're mine. Right. It's <laughs> like, and I want to keep them like, I mean, it's seriously, Danielle will tell you, I'll be like, I got to use them here. I've got to use them here. And then I'll be like, 
you hate me right now because my cast keeps getting bigger and bigger. And, and, and to Danielle's credit, she's like, no, I like ambitious. You keep going, girl. You keep going, Mm -hmm. girl. Um, yeah, so, it's, it's knowing who they are and, and who these characters are and bringing someone that's going to bring that person, that character to life is, is, is ambitious. But as a listener, I love it as a, you know, from someone that works behind the scenes and works with production companies and casting. I love it. I do too. To me, it's like the more the merrier and, you know, we're having a party and you can come if you want. Right. Um, I was serious. You, you know, when you guys listen to the, to the episode, I mentioned about potentially doing uh, some form of retreat where we get to record and everybody's oh, there. I, oh my God. It would be so fun. Like I couldn't imagine being in a room with them. There would no sex scenes will be read while I'm in that room, by the way, just, yeah, just so- enough. Yeah. So you bring up a great part too, which is I think hilarious in that because you are so balls to the walls and you're like, nothing's going to faze me. But the moment that you bring up, you know, penis and and sex, sexual acts to this woman here, she gets all like, oh my God, no, let's not. it's her own work and I'm like wait a minute <laughs> you know it's so funny because I, I I channel like and I was talking about this like I truly feel like I channel a character when I write them so is it how I would be in the bedroom well I'm not going to explain any of that but it's how that character is and so when I write my sex scenes I'm like okay I'm receiving you know, bring it to me. Like, tell me your story. Tell me how you're going to have sex. Cause every person doesn't have sex the same on a page. Every person doesn't, you know, so I just open up my arms and receive. Right. And so once the sex scene is done and it's, I'm set with it. I I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> if you're going to read it, I don't want to know about it. It's kind of like, you're like, you know, you're no, like the mom of out. the kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know if my kids are having sex. It's out there. I mean, yeah. with, and, and with as, as, as beloved as John Carlisle is a character. Me, I don't want to know about him having sex. I just know he does. Okay. <laughs> I know he does. I write it, but I don't want to know about it. Okay. It was so, so cute um, to see. <laughs> oh my God. I was totally blushing today as Patrick is talking about how they broke, he broke in on that scene that was being recorded. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it was, and it was perfect because I'm going, I think I know where this is going. And he said, so for those that have yet to listen to it, we were talking about um, the different type of recordings that sometimes when it's duets, um, and multicast sometimes there will be a zoom will be you know for that particular scene so everybody's basically in the same room you know uh, as virtual mm-hmm. as like, that can happen and he is uh you know someone that wanted to you know as you know very professional stuff like that wanted to make sure that he was on time and everything and he literally is busting in on a scene that he is unaware is happening also too because of the exact same zoom number yes. so it, yes. it doesn't stop and then restart when the next a group of you know narrators get together so it's the same conversation basically because it's the same number and oh my god as I'm as I'm hearing him say this I'm looking because again we were on camera and I'm looking at TJ going oh I think I know where this scene is (laughs) and she like starts shading red and he's like yeah because I just came into the conversation and you know like hey guys I'm here and everybody's like quiet and um you know they they're like okay Patrick thanks you we're gonna be with you in just another minute we need to finish this and then he also as he's telling the story which again great storyteller he then goes into the changing of the voice where he's like and then I'm hearing Shane bust out with and I'm going to get his thrust my cock into and I'm I'm listening to him play the scene his voice is changing and this woman is turning flush pink and, you know, grabbing her and she's covering her face. And I'm going, 
we need to do this in like a conference because <laughs> I am diabolical about oh it. My gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, and he was, and Patrick's like, he goes, I, I think it's hysterical that you're so like, you know, and, and I'm like, it has nothing to do with Shane or Tara. Like, I just want to caveat that they're brilliant. And yeah, no, it's just the material. I mean, it can be anything as long as it's, I don't know if, I don't know if they're brilliant or beautiful to be very honest with you. People tell me they are. Um, and I have some fans who are like, Hey, I'll take it for the team and listen for you. Um, I mean, I have, a, I have a bunch of people because everybody knows it's like now a big thing. Everyone knows that I don't listen. So I have fans will be like, hey, I'll take it for the team and listen for you. All right, um, and, Danielle, <laughs> and Danielle, she even bet me. She bet me something and I lost. So technically I have to listen and she gets to record me like totally <gasps> turning red. Um, and I've got to do this. I've got to make good on this. <laughs> I do. I have to make good on this. I will help thing you is, hold not, accountability here. <laughs> It's totally not the about the beautiful performances um, of of my narrators. They're they're brilliant. It's me. It's all me. And I can't. You know. It's and I've talked about this before on many lives. And I, I for lack of a better example, most of my sex scenes actually predominantly are in the man's perspective. And I don't do that for any other reason that that's the way that it works when I'm writing the story. It has nothing to do with the narrator. Um, nothing at all. Okay, so the majority of my sex scenes in, that have been read so far, one is going to be coming up by Nicholas, um, you know, which I haven't listened yet, thank God, and I won't listen. Um, no offense to you, Nicholas, but it is what it is. Um, but um, I, we're Shane, actually. And so I remember the first one, I went into it on the Tory, and my husband's looking at me, and I'm sitting outside, and I'm turning red. He's like, what are you turning red for? I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't listen, I can't listen, I can't listen. And he's like, why can't you listen? I'm like, he goes, you wrote it. I'm like, I know, but it's just some guy I don't know reading my stuff, and it's sexy, and oh, my gosh. And, you know, you go through this whole thing. Mind you, he's read some very, very spicy books before. So mine probably seems, like, very basic to him, but still... It's the whole, like, I don't want to, it's my children having sex and there's this person reading them and uh, I, 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 just, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's, it's a very it's, psychological thing. I'm it not, it is, but it, it's <laughs> so good for us to know this. <laughs> I know it's fodder. It's fodder. It, it is. It's, it's, and you know, we had, so we did this brilliant thing last year where we did this video um, of people listening to uh, The Traitor, one of the sexy scenes of The Traitor, and all these lovely gals um, from, this fan, from his fan club were listening. We got to video them, right, and their responses. And they're all, you can see them blushing and turning red as they're listening to it. Mind you, I am like under my desk, like trying to hide and like disappear. Um, and Danielle really wanted me to put in the video. I'm like, no, you can't do that because then they're going to think I think he doesn't sound good. And he does. It's just, it's me like not being able to listen. Right. And I do this with kissing scenes um, too. Like when they're kissing, I'm like, oh, I can't listen to that. Like anything that involves like the word cock or dick or like penis or like any of those, like I can't, like anytime I even hear them, I'm like, oh my God, he just said cock. <laughs> it's so cute. I love it. <laughs> well, the thing is, I write it all over. It's all over the damn place in my book. Like I use cock all the time. And, yeah. um, and I like, I have to hide from that word. Like, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I, I like, um, but I also cry a lot when I listen to my books. They're very triggering for me too. So like, there are a lot of scenes where I have to stop it. And like, I go in my bathroom and I like shut the door and pull out my tissues and I whine for a couple of minutes. And then I come back out and listen again. And I remember telling jock this when i had to listen to the trader i warned her ahead of time i said i understand you want me to listen it in x amount of time 
um, but understand that that may not be possible depending on what was going on in my, you know, it, it, it's about reliving because of where, yeah. Um, not like I'm reliving the sex. I don't want to put that out there. Sorry. Um, yes. Relieving the, we're talking about the parts about the emotional right, crying Right. But you know, that's a thing too. So um, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I know a lot of authors, it doesn't bother them. I mean, I know a lot of readers they are like, yeah, the dirtier, the better. I want to listen. I'm by far not a prude. Obviously, if you've read my sex scenes, you know that some of them are very spicy. Um, it's just that I, I don't know. Hearing them narrated is just like, I think it's, I think that's that's different when it's your own work and your own words and you're hearing it out loud, you know, and you're going, Ooh, okay. Um, I, what was I doing there? (laughs) (laughs) Like why? Um, I just, John Carlisle, you naughty boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just love the fact that you, that reaction is just priceless for me. And, uh, I will be, I will, I, you know, this is one thing I feel comfortable saying, if you need Jason's gems for any reason to help you out with some of that stuff, if, if Jason ever has yeah. those things, I can guarantee you, none of them will be like, Viv, why did you volunteer us for this? I'm sure they'll be very grateful. <laughs> so Yeah. You know, um, it's funny that you say that. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> And so I, I am going to be honest, there is a character coming up down the road that I really see Jason narrating. I'm going to be very honest with you. If, you know, if contracting works out and all those things work out, you know, then, but my hope is that he'll narrate this character, right? I'm not going to lie. I did, I did do a, a few things in that book um, <laughs> uh, because I, I had his voice in mind. I'm not going to lie. Um, when you have that incredible, incredible voice in mind, you know, um, and, and they may not necessarily have been sexy. They may have been, you know, um, just, you know, things to push the narrator a bit. And, and I, I do, you know, when I wrote Man of War and I wrote the Tory and the Traitor and the Turncoat, well, the Tory and the Traitor, because I'm doing the retreatment of the Turncoat, um, I didn't have narrators, right? So I wrote those purely from the inspiration of the voice that I had in my head. When I did the retreatment of the Traitor, I had all of them that came, became the audio. It was a reboot of the book. Um, I had that amazing cast in mind. I had, you know, Shane and Marnie and, 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 and Patrick and all of them in mind. So I admit I, I did embellish in certain places because if you have those incredible voices, you, you do, you do mm-hmm. uh, push them a little bit. So um, yes, I, I did add the word fucking a few times so that Shane <laughs> can say it. I'm not going to lie. Right? Yeah. Hey, no, um, we all I, have our thing, you know, like when it comes down to Jason Clark, it's like the deeper, the growly kind of a thing, um, you know, and, yeah. and John Hartley with the accents and Marnie with you know she's also brilliant with her different tones of voices and her accent work so yes yes and like and Tara I really like she oh my gosh there's so much I could say about her voice did play a bit with the dialogue and too and some of the outrage you know that Dallas has she gets like John don't say those things you know what I mean like she just does that so well so yeah I I did I did play a bit there I admit that so yeah Mm -hmm. it's a perk of knowing you know getting to know the 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 narrators as individuals and and seeing what they've already provided you in these books and what more can they provide you you know (laughs) well and also you know I've I've written characters specifically with them in mind now you know because like I said they they influence me right um they not only influence you know what I hear now when I write I actually impersonate them like I do my best like Patrick Zeller you know when he's doing Delancey and I'm being all diabolical like the chapter one joke everyone knows the chapter one joke about shame like how he says chapter one um so uh, <laughs> like uh, like every time it's still to this day when I get behind like I'm like chapter one you know like I do that so um I 
I know. I think he thought that was completely the most absurd thing. He didn't get it, but everybody else did. Yeah, so no, it's just like, say it again. All, yeah. <laughs> we all get it. Then you're apparently missing out on a joke, dude, right? Like, um, but we all got it. And like, I'm trying to think of another good example. There's something else that was in the story that is definitely, you know, it comes from one of the narrators. Some of the Delancey stuff, when I type it out, I'm like, or Marnie, Marnie doing Celeste. Like, she's so like, you know, composed and angry that when I type her, I'm like, yeah, rah, 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 <laughs> you know, I'm like impersonating her. So, um, and I even, I text him every once in a while. I'd be like, Hey, Marnie, like I'm manifesting you right now. And she'll laugh. But also now she, she shared how one of the characters, her inspiration was Mrs. Putz from Beauty and the Beast. I love that. I and love I was that. like, now when I'm listening, when I'm going to be listening to it, I'm going, Oh yeah, that's so Mrs. Putz. As far as like the cadence or whatever, how she chose to do it. And she I love just, that. Yeah. She was just laughing too, because it was like, I'm going, it, it's Disney beating the beast. And this is a, yeah, no, <laughs> but it's but, you know, here's the character. The thing, though, it's great. Where people find their inspiration is incredible, right? Like if I was to sit down and tell you where I get all the inspiration for some of the bull crap that's in my books, like, you'd be like, really, that's where you got it from, you know? So it, we all draw from our own experiences to create. Right. And that's, what's so fascinating when, you know, like when they tell you that, like I was like, John didn't give us too much. I wanted to like fry into his brain and go, really? Where'd you get Rene Levesque from? Come on now. You weren't Pepe Le Pew and you weren't Dirty Frenchman. Like, where did you get that from? You know, he didn't, he didn't, like, I need to, I need to, pay, we need to have that conversation with him again. Like, we need to get him back on this podcast. Oh yeah. Right? Hey, I'm like, all for to, doing John again. I mean, as I said that I'm going, and, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Right. Like I need to dig into his brain more and be like, no, no, you don't get to hide. You don't get to hide my friend. Like you got to tell me where that comes well, from. We'll, right. Yeah, well, well, we should get you together um, once the book is released. So that way people have time yeah. to listen to it. And so when we're talking about certain things, because anytime that we get together and talk about a book prior to it being released, we're always very concerned with about spoilers and things like that. And also maybe that not the, for the listeners, not really understanding what the hell, what, why are we so happy about this? You know, or why are there like, oh, right, so, right. so definitely once it's been released and it's out there, um, it would be great to kind of have those more one-on-one conversations with whoever you want. I am game. Girl, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the thing is like Patrick, you know, I've talked many times to Patrick and Marnie and Tara, you know, and I've learned a lot about where they dig and create. Like today, you know, Drew was really very insightful and funny about, you know, where he got his characters from. And so was James too. Like James uniquely was in the military. He was in the, in the, in the Navy too. So he had a really unique, different perspective on where he built his characters. But he also told us about like, what, who did the Ian McKellen? Was that, was that Drew? That was Drew who drew from Ian McKellen. And yeah. And the Lord of the him. Rings. So, yeah. Yeah. And but then- like. But John was the only one who didn't give any of his secrets away. I was like, hmm. Mm, he was trying to you be know, a little bit more poised and mysterious. And again, I think his concern with, with uh, potential spoilers. I know. And I appreciate him for that. I do. I do. So yeah, it was, you know, but that certainly where people like draw their inspiration from, you know, is, is always interesting. And then they were curious about where I drew my inspiration from, you know, like on some of the characters. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a muse is a funny thing, both for a voice actor, as well as for an author, a muse is a very funny thing. And those are some of the things that, that I think I love about what, this podcast provides is the listeners as well as you guys as the authors and even the narrators is that opportunity to have that dialogue and learn yeah. that it was Mrs. Potts 
that you know this character right? was inspired by or Ian you know um Lord of the Rings character or even James was hilarious about the fact that there was this one you know sailor in in the ship that he was um when he was in the right stuff like that, that literally did what they did and I'm going no they did it and they're like no yeah yeah they did I'm like oh um and so it's, it's just kind of those behind the scenes insights it's just fantastic well and then Patrick is you know my central Michigan wrestling team roommates right oh god like, yeah as broad street boys <laughs> you know um he sounded yeah. like he had so much fun doing that so the broad boys you guys are uh, street broad boys. street yeah, yeah. Broad street boys are Oh, uh, the stories that I've yeah. heard. Ooh, you guys are going to love the them. the funny thing about him is like, so I got them all mugs as a thank you. And it has some a character that they did on the mug. And it, normally I get him one that says, you know, Roger Delancey or the villain or something funny like that, because they got mugs from each of the books. I got him one that said the Broad Street Boys on it this time. And he was laughing. He's like, oh my God, that's hysterical. I sent him this time just the Broad Street Boys on his mug. You know, it, it was, and we did that purposely because he always reads all the dark characters. So I wanted to give him something fun to do. And, you know, he was, I mean, that clip is hysterical of him. We laughed. Yeah. And he, he literally yeah. honestly had such a fun time doing it as well, because, you know, again, what you were bringing to the characters in that page for those scenes, I it, it's like, and then you're sharing the story about how it was actually based on real people. I'm going, right. oh my God, I can totally see that really happening. <laughs> well, and the, and the worst thing is it's, it's a bunch of guys looking for some ass and they're all yeah. drunk, right? <laughs> And they're trying to break into the Hellfire Club and, you know, India, her character is trying to sneak in and she's trying to be all covert. And they're like, come on, hurry it up. We want to get in there. You know, like the one guy's like, I got a cock stand here. You know, like, I mean, it's just, there's all this, you know, banter going on behind her. And she's like, oh my God, this is a proper lady going, who are these guys? You know, but she's dressed up like as a boy trying to sneak in. So it's a really funny scene. Um, and and the best is when, like, you know, Danielle's listening. She goes, dude, I didn't realize you were this funny. I'm like, I didn't either. Like, I'm, <laughs> you know, like, it, it just showed up on the page, right? Um, so, so yeah, it, there's some funny moments in the story, definitely, too. So, so um, yeah, I'm excited for the listeners to get uh, the book. And so it's coming out in June. We don't have yes. an exact date yet because of, you know, finalizing files and uploading and all that lovely drama yeah. that happens with it. But you do have the, the print book coming out. What date was it at again? So Man of War print book is out right now. It is on the market, but the print book of The Rebel is actually coming out in November. So that's mm. that's technically, so Man of War is the prequel. We have the Tory, the Traitor, the Turncoat, which are the John Carlyle portion of the Rebels and Redcoat saga. That's not all. He's got more stories to come. But for right now, those are the first three. And then we have The Rebel, which we now kind of switch gears and we're going to see Alexi's part of the story. So um, Alexei, I, I, you know, and the thing was, I wasn't really going to write this book. I just had so many fans drive me fucking nuts about it. They're like, come on, when's there going to be an Alexei story? Um, so I do listen occasionally, but the biggest thing is my editor and Danielle were driving me nuts. I want an Alexei story. I want an Alexei story. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll write one. And it was only meant to be one book and then it became two. And then now it's three, damn it. Um, so Gee, I just never do anything small. <laughs> I know. Right. I like balls to the walls. Right. Um, so, and then we'll get back to John Carlyle. So, and he, he doesn't disappear. He's in all those stories for my John Carlyle fans, but, um, he's in those stories, but you know, these ones are, are focused on. So that comes out in, um, in November. And then we will see for all my friends who are waiting, the turncoat audio will be coming out in June of next year. So it goes into recording, um, in, in April. 
And we will start to see some coming attractions for that coming this summer. So more to come on the turncoat. And then the Rebel Audio will come out next Christmas. So two two audios coming out next year. So fantastic. Yeah. And so the audiobook for The Man of War will be in June, hopefully. June of this year. Yeah. yeah of this year. It will be in June. It'll be it'll be in June. And then yeah. So uh I'm really excited to to hear it myself. I get to hear it next weekend. Woo! I'm so excited. And I'm excited for everybody else to, to hear it. I think, uh, I think it's going to be brilliant. I think they're going to be brilliant. And, uh, so we'll just, yep. That's it. Yeah. yeah that's me. Well, so thank you so much for hanging out with me. I think you're getting your insights and then having the conversation with the narrators that we did today. And then we'll be doing next week is an entire little good round table of, you know, such an epic saga that you've been writing. And so thank, thank you, you so much for, for doing this uh, for the listeners and the readers. And it's been so much fun. And so I appreciate it. I you. know, right? I know we get to do this again next week, right? I, I mean, know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know we get to talk to, um, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited to, to meet them and, and dialogue with them. So this is going to be fun. It'll be yeah. fun. So everybody, we will be including links to everything once we have finalized dates for, for the June events and for the Book Loving series. But we will be including the links to all these conversations that we talked about today. Uh, TJ, thank you so much for being, again, part of the series and coming back. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we have everybody's social media links so we can, you know, everybody can follow everybody as far as your cast goes, as well as yourself. And until next time, happy listening, guys. Thank you for joining us in the Audiobook Lovin' series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.